Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. and welcome to the CHGO Bulls podcast. I am your host, Will Gottlieb. You can find me on Twitter at Will underscore Gottlieb. And I'm here with my good mate from Australia, Mark K at MK Hoops on Twitter. Mark, how you doing? We also have Joey here pushing buttons and joining on uh, an HQ Wednesday edition. So Joey, thanks for joining us. How are you guys doing today? Uh, splendid, William. Back-to-back day for me, just putting in overtime. Look at this. What a absolute uh, company man that i am but uh i'm well i'm well joseph hopefully you're well william hopefully you're well and hopefully everyone tuning in too is well what are we talking about today william well we're going to talk today about how emotionally destroyed i was that i did not get the invite onto yesterday's podcast with you and matt and dave uh no i uh took the day off appreciate you filling in for me and uh yeah it was a really good conversation if you guys haven't listened go back and check that out on our youtube channel or wherever you can find your podcasts but today we are talking about one of the best players on the bulls uh some might even argue in some ways the best player on the bulls alex caruso uh, we're gonna talk about him and his role in the bulls defense which has been very solid again this year although um yeah, we're going to dive into more about that and see how legit this team's defense actually is and then obviously uh, hit the rumor mill. There was a, another report today with a little nugget on Caruso uh, with regards to the Bulls' interest in trading him and what they may be looking for in return. And then just some some bigger picture thoughts on the trade deadline. You had some stuff in that conversation yesterday that I wanted to uh, press on a little bit and, and uh, have a deeper discussion about it. So let's let's dive right in. Um, you know, I was just listening to Cash Considerations, our friends Ricky and Jason's great Bulls podcast. That's that's uh, and yeah. yeah, and I, I was really annoyed because they started talking about Zach Lowe's 10 things column, uh, right. about kind of poking at the Bulls defense. And I like thought nobody had talked about this, had gone, <clears throat> excuse me, under the radar. And mm. uh, I guess great minds think alike because I really wanted to talk about that. Um, obviously, mm. the Bulls finished last year fifth in defense, they were 10th for most of the year, but they were first after the uh. Was, I don't remember if it was the trade deadline or all-star break, but after they got Patrick Beverly, they vaulted up to first in the league in defense. And so the question this year is like, is that sustainable? Is that repeatable? And so far, I would say not necessarily at quite that same level. Uh, since December 1st, if we kind of throw away that four, uh, 5 and 14 start, the team is ninth in defense. Over the last two weeks, they're 11th. But Zach Lowe had some uh, criticisms. He said that the defense was broken. And that uh, he wasn't sure if they would be able to replicate a number five uh, ranked defense 
from last year or if it was born of random bad opponent shooting luck. He said, quote, a look under the hood reveals structural issues, including an avalanche of opponent threes. And, you know, based on where the Bulls are giving up shots, uh, they're not necessarily taking shots away from the rim and they are giving up a ton of opponent threes. And, you know, from an X's and O's standpoint, he said something is getting lost in translation from the coaches to the players because Bulls don't have a consistent idea for when and where to help away from shooters. So let's just, before we dive into the numbers here, and there's some interesting ones, Mark, what's kind of been your uh, opinion and just thoughts about where the Bulls defense is this year? Well, before we dive into this year, last year, it was a pretty big sample size of the Bulls being the best defense in the NBA. It was from January 1. 2023, a 46-game sample over half the season. Prior to even Patrick Beverly arriving, this team was playing good defense. They were the best defense in the NBA for several months of the season. And it wasn't just, you know, your March or April period when teams start to clock off or start thinking about different things, whether it's the playoffs or whether it's your tank situation, whatever it might be for a specific team. So I don't want to take anything away from what they did last season on defense because they were fantastic on defense last season. And that was the big part as to why they were able to do what they did in the plane. Uh, do I believe they're at the same level now that they were last season? No, they clearly haven't been. But I think they've still been an above average defense at times, a very, very good defense. I think when Lowe wrote what he did, a lot of what he was witnessing or referencing was from that Warriors game where the Bulls played the Warriors. But even then, just that five-game sample there and there or thereabouts around that game stretch, like there was some help issues that the Bulls were getting wrong quite frequently, whether that was in pick and roll, where the lone man was just consistently slow, whether that was Kobe, whether it was Zach, whomever it was, those guys were in those situations very slow with their help. There's been other issues with help defense more recently, but do I think the Bulls' base is wrong or fluky or a mirage or anything like that? No, I don't. I think this is a pretty good defense. So I think, obviously, if you just look at where they end up, obviously it has been a really good defense. Um, I think last year, when you look at some of the opponent shooting numbers, yeah, it was maybe a little bit fluky, but I think that actually kind of averaged out in the second half of the season um, to where opponent shooting went from really, really poor to starting to look pretty normal. And even during that stretch, they were a lot better. This year, I think, has been sort of a similar story as far as the shot profile, so the shots that they're giving up. And I think that's really what he is um, criti criticizing or, or poking at. So uh, since December 1st, opponents are shooting um, their 30th in the league in location effective field goal. So what does that mean? Location effective field goal is that if a team shot league average field goal percentage from each location, that's rim, short mid-range, long mid-range, corner threes, and above the break threes. So if they shot league average field goal percentage from those spots, what would their effective field goal be? And the reason you ask this question is because it gives you a sense of the team's efficiency as far as their shot profile. So basically, the Bulls are dead last in the league. And what that means is based on the shots that they're giving up, opponents are shooting way below average. And so if you kind of factor into uh, your points per possession allowed, points per 100 possessions allowed, you know, if you were to put that number back up to just average, the defense would be a lot worse off for it. So effectively, they are allowing the most threes, the highest, I should say, the highest frequency of opponents threes uh, from both the break, above the break, and from 
in, in total. They're allowing the sixth most corner threes, the eighth largest uh, percentage of shots coming at the rim, and they are forcing opponents into the least amount of mid-range shots. And basically what that tells you is the Bulls are not doing a good job of taking away shots at the rim. They're not doing a good job of taking away three-pointers, and they are not doing a good job of forcing opponents into taking mid-range shots, which are generally speaking the lowest value shots in the game. Um, I think that this is maybe a little over-dramatized based on these numbers because the Bulls' defense is kind of built to uh, take away the paint and to force you know, kickouts where they they really do a good job of rotating, contesting, and closing out. And if they can, you know, make that first rotation to get teams to pass out of the corner into an above the break three and contest that, they feel pretty good about it. I think the real issue here is that they're still allowing shots at the rim. Teams are uh, getting to the rim the sixth highest frequency in the league. So that I think is the main issue. And I think it's kind of the, the reason why Zach Lowe was, you know, pointing out that some of this could be a bit of a paper tiger. But all things considered, this is not that different from what they were last year. And I think from a team strategy standpoint, they are obviously you want to be a little bit better at taking away shots at the rim. Uh, once teams get into the paint, that's where you get fouled. That's where you get offensive rebounds. That's where you get kickouts for three. But they feel good about their ability to rotate. And I think it's just a matter of executing their scheme a little bit better. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I don't necessarily disagree with much of that, but at the same time, from December 1st, the Bulls are eighth in defensive rating. So what is more true? Like, Where is middle, I suppose? Like maybe they're 30th in shot location, field goal percentage or whatever whatever that stat was that you referenced, but then defensive rating is also telling me the Bulls over the last 25 games are a top 10 defense. They're not first like they were last time. And again, it's not a 46-game sample, but it's a 25-game sample, which is still, to my eyes, pretty meaningful Meaningful in that sample. They're uh, top 10 in defensive rebounding percentage. This team likes to be aggressive on defense. You, you noted it before that the, the the plan is to take away paint, not just from the, the, the two players in pick and roll, but the help that they send when players try to drive is excessive. In some instances, sometimes that's why the Bulls do get things wrong and why they do allow threes because they do, or they are prone to overhelp. But that is by design because this team wants to turn to other teams over, wants to limit the number of possessions teams have, the number of field goal attempts these other teams have, and ultimately want to fuel their transition game as well. So part of this is by design in that respect. I think another element that's sort of going unnoticed here is the Bulls have had to play some pretty small lineups this season even more so than last season now that can be advantageous in certain instances when you want to scramble when you want to move do all that sort of stuff but when you're having to rely on terry taylor as your backup because vooch was out or you're having to rely on you know alex caruso and demar DeRozan playing small forward and power forward because both patrick williams and tory craig were missing time like that impacts what you can do defensively too so I don't know, like you can cut it a million different ways. I don't think this is a paper tiger as such. I think there's I think there's fundamentals that this team get right you know all the time. That they protect the ball on offense too, which means they're not getting themselves into transition. They don't foul a ton, which means obviously they're not sending teams to the free throw line. So there's there's key fundamentals which were occurring last season that have transferred over to this season, which is why I feel always felt confident coming into this season that this would be a, an above average defense. Did I think that would replicate first? No, 
not particularly when you're taking out uh, Patrick Beverly and subbing in someone like Kobe White. You, you are going to be trading defense for offense. But I don't think it's some paper tiger that's just going to fall off if teams start hitting shots. I think, yeah, like I said, they're not the first best or the, the best defense in the NBA. They've been the eighth best defense over the last 25 games. I do think that's a, a fair assessment of where they are, generally speaking, you know, in that 7 to 13 range. And if they could be that, whilst maintaining or improving their offense, like I would be completely fine with that. But again, the issue this season is less so defense, it's on offense. So I don't, I don't know why the defense is getting this attention, to be honest with you, because I think more more generally it has been fine and solid. It's the offense that remains the remains the problem. Yeah, I think there's probably a little bit of scope for uh, opposing offenses to do better. The Bulls are allowing the fifth lowest percentage um, on three-pointers in the league. So if you push that up to average maybe that hurts them a little bit same with above the break but i think that's kind of where they they hang their hat in terms of being able to contest those shots and force teams to uh, shoot a lower percentage i don't know what the like you know are you able to really affect opponents shots with closeouts or are you just getting lucky based on makes and misses i'm not sure to me the rim is really the the biggest problem defensively um vooch also missed a lot of time and he's been very good at keeping uh, opponents out of the rim, out of the paint. Um, the Bulls are allowing 64% at the rim, which is the sixth lowest in the league. Uh, so yeah, I think there's probably a little bit of scope, but I totally agree that like the main problem here is defense or is, is the offense. Because when you've had a defense, even if like the numbers may appear to be a little shaky, if you've been able to sustain that for like a year and a half, I, I kind of buy it. I think that's like a big enough sample. Um, yes, there's probably going to be a little bit of a regression, but at the same time, like the Bulls are um, not doing a good job defensive rebounding this year. They are 18th in opponent offensive rebound rate. That's something that they were top 10 in last year. I think that could go back towards the Bulls. Uh, they are 12th in opponent free throw rate, which is something that they were really good at last year. So they're putting opponents on the line a little bit more than average. Um, I think those are some things that can come back down a little bit, but really to me, it's like, it is the offense. Um, and yeah, I, I, you know, they've go ahead. No, I was just going to say like, some of this is contextual too. And I, I understand the numbers and what they say, but what the numbers will never be able to assess or fully, you know, account for is where those shooting locations are, who's shooting them, the moments in which they are shooting them, that the clock situation when they are shooting them. There's so much context that goes into these stats as well that, look, I'm a stats guy, but I, I don't necessarily think you can look at these things and just you know come away with the conclusion that because the Bulls give up a lot of three-pointers that this is a paper tiger on on um, on defense. And, I, and I'll point to the fact that the Bulls are 29th in three-point attempts allowed by their opponent this season. Uh, the OKC Thunder are 28th. That's a top five defense in the NBA. The Boston Celtics are 26th in the number of three-point attempts that they allow their opponents. The Celtics are second on defense. So the team that takes away the most threes in the NBA are the Indiana Pacers, and they are like 27th on defense this season. So I guess what I'm saying is a lot of it is contextual. There's obviously luck adjustment involved with it. I and mean, then maybe the Bulls are getting luck, uh, lucky to some degree, as those stats would sort of suggest. Uh, but I don't know if you can just point to shot profile, either your shot profile on offense or your opponent's shot, uh, shot profile on offense, and just quickly from there make an assessment that something is bad or something is good. Um, there's a lot more that goes into it. And as I said, like there, there has been a recent trend more, more generally over the last few years whereby some of the best defenses in the NBA have been giving up a lot of threes, which 
maybe is not what we've come to expect, but it is a thing that's been happening over the last two to three years. And I'm like, again, I'm not sitting here saying that the Bulls are the best defense in the NBA, but I don't think they're just going to fall off the wagon here just because, you know, their opponents might start hitting at, at a two to five percent more better rate or whatever it may be, I guess. Well, they also have one of the best defensive players in the leagues, and that is Alex Russo. And we will talk about him a little bit more after a quick break from our sponsors, because we need to tell you about Empire Today, because with Empire Today, you can shop at home convenience, the right products for your needs with quick and professional installation and a low price guarantee. Empire Today is the best place to get new flooring. So of course they have copycats, but Empire can't be beaten on quality, service, or speed. So competitors advertise low quality products that Empire simply would not carry. Empire won't promise the lowest prices because anybody who is promising those kind of prices is not putting those floors in their homes. Empire's philosophy is to find you help what you need, but not overwhelm you with thousands of choices and substitutes. What they leave out of their selection is just as important as what they put in. Empire's product team exhaustively comes through thousands of product samples each year to find you the perfect styles. And even better, you can check out how those styles will look in your space with a virtual floor designer. It's easy. You snap a picture and instantly see how those new floors will look in your room. Shopping at a big box store can be frustrating. You might talk to somebody today who was working in plumbing yesterday. Flooring is all Empire does. They live and breathe flooring so you can be confident that you're getting honest, upfront advice. So schedule a free in-home estimate today. All listeners for CHO can receive a $350 off discount when they use promo code CHGO. Promo code CHGO, $350 off. Restrictions apply. See empiretoday.com slash CHGO for details. William, I'm not sure if you know this about me, but one of my life mottos is that you shouldn't have to worry about, about buying your tickets for your next event, whatever it might be, whether it's, it's a life sports, music, Always comedies, theater. Like this is just something that I truly believe at, at the essence of my core. And I'm glad our friends at Game Time share this theory or this thinking because they are the home of the last minute deals. They, the, the, you, you go nowhere else, friends. This is a place you go. If you want to get the best all-in prices, get yourself uh, or guarantee yourself rather the best last minute deals for whatever it is you want to get to. Like I said, whether you're going to a Bulls game, a, an NFL game, whether you're going to a comedy show, a music show, whatever it might be, Game Time is the hookup and when you do so via ourselves here at chdo we and our friends at game time will give you 20 bucks off all you need to do is download the app create an account use that code chdo and when you do you will get 20 dollars off your purchase there so download the game time app today last minute tickets lowest prices guaranteed give up who i know you didn't ask but i needed to uh <laughs> Let's uh, let's talk about Caruso a little bit more specifically because nice. he was named to USA Basketball's player pool of 41 finalists that will be ultimately selected for the 12-player roster for next year's, oh, for this year, geez, 2024 already. For 2024 Summer Olympics in Paris, he is alongside uh, the regulars. You've got LeBron, you've got Dame Lillard, Kawhi, um, Jason Tatum is in there, Chris Paul, Kyrie, Paul George, De'Aaron Fox, Embiid. Anthony Edwards, KD, Scotty Barnes, Jalen Brown, Jalen Brunson, Mikhail Bridges, Devin Booker, Bam Adebayo, Jared Allen, Paolo Boncaro, and a bunch more, including Alex Caruso. Um, reporters asked Caruso about it today at Shootaround at UCLA, and he was just kind of saying that, you know, the, the fact that he has kind of grinded out a career for himself 
um, and just through like sheer work ethic and smarts been able to get to that level. You know, I think he just felt very humbled and appreciative. He said he's known about it for a few days. He talked with Grant Hill who runs, um, a lot of the player stuff for team USA, but it is really true. I mean, this guy is such a special player. Um, the way that he reads the game, the right, the way that he sees the floor can cut stuff off before it even happens can call out opponent plays and blow stuff up um, two steps ahead. And just like the way that he puts his body on the line, he is just insane. He's amazing. And I don't know if I'm just uh, so much of a contrarian that I'm now starting to be a contrarian against my, against my own takes, but I just feel like, you know, if they do end up trading Crusoe, it will really suck because that guy, not only is he a great player that really helps the bulls defense. Um, and this year his the offense with the way he's shooting the ball, um, but just the fact that he is kind of like a self-made player and that he has really gone from kind of like a, I, I hesitate to use this word, but he, he was kind of like a meme player. He was always a good player, but just like the bald Mamba, like playing in, uh, alongside LeBron all, all the way to like legitimately being a first team, all defense caliber player. It, I think it would, it would suck to lose him. Uh, but the reason I bring that up is because today, Jake Fisher in one of his columns, uh, it was specifically about the Bucks and their dismissal of Adrian Griffin and um, presumed hire of Doc Rivers. But he wrote that Alex Caruso would be a would mark a dream outcome for the Bucks. But Chicago has indicated that the Bulls would need multiple first round picks to even consider parting with Caruso, according to league sources, if Chicago even truly considers moving him at all. Um, Mark, is that like is two first round picks like a reasonable? What do you think about two first round picks? I, I won't put any words in your mouth. It's it's completely reasonable. Uh, I think it's absurd to uh, think that you know a guy that depending on what next team he goes to would maybe not even be starting uh to think that like a bench role guy in in certain instances like he's so heavily needed in chicago because of all the things that they lack but in a scenario like milwaukee as an example where you do have Giannis, you do have brook lopez you know manning and protecting the paint obviously someone like uh, uh caruso within there would be huge but He's less of a defensive need for a team like the Bucs compared to someone like Paul, the, the Bulls who, beyond Caruso, certainly don't have a paint or rim protector like a, a Giannis or a, a Lopez. Um, but he's so valuable to the Bulls because of almost what they don't have in some respects too. Now, I say all that to say, I think two first-round picks, and then assuming they're real-ish first-round picks, I'm not expecting, obviously, a top-five picks for Alex Caruso, but... Two first round picks similar to those that um that the uh what's the name? The the, the Toronto Raptors received for Pascal Siakam in this draft coming up where you can get like maybe a pick or two in that fifteen to twenty-five range, like that would be nice. I think that's completely fine and reasonable. Now the problem for the Bucks is they don't have the ability to really give the balls two-ish first round picks to that degree. So that's why it doesn't make sense with for the Bucks, but for for other contenders, yeah. Like I think two first round picks is a reasonable asking price. I wonder about it just because teams are like just this, this CBA marketplace and landscape right now. It's so interesting because obviously like having good players on value contracts is always a pro like you, that's ideal for any team, but it mm -hmm. seems like they're now being so overvalued that like, I don't know whether any of those players actually get traded. I mean, like if if you're talking about two first round picks for Crusoe and like 
potentially having to attach a pick to get off of Levine. That's just kind of like a crazy concept, but it's because these teams are so scared of the tax aprons that like a good player on a good deal is now worth so much more than draft picks because I mean, obviously like your rookie scale contract is always going to be a value one, but that's only if the player can contribute. And like you're seeing with Mm -hmm. some rookies around the league that are just like not ready. For example, Kyra Lewis was just dumped onto the Raptors in that Pelicans trade. Uh, It was a Mm -hmm. Pelicans Pacers and Raptors trade. And the Pelicans just like got in there. They attached a second round pick to Kyra Lewis who was making 5.7 million just to get out of the tax. So who knows like how much value you get for, one of these rookie scale picks and that can always be you know that can always be a tricky thing but yeah it's just teams are they seem to really overvalue those kind of players and part of that is because of how impactful they can be on such a small price so from that standpoint i think two first round picks is like a lot i don't know that the bulls would really be able to say no to that assuming they're not like top 20 picks because like at the end of the day if you're just getting two picks in like the late 20s that's probably not very valuable. Like we talked about with that Siakam trade, like not all first round picks are created equal. So you would want something that's like real more than just like saying you've got two first round picks for him. Um, I think it was Sam Vecini or maybe it was, yeah, I think Sam Vecini um, posted a fake trade that was like Jalen Green for Caruso. And just like the upside there, obviously his contract is coming up after next season. So he ends up not being as cheap. Um but like that's a lot of upside in a former number two overall pick. So I don't know. I think it's really interesting just to think about like what his value is as a role player who is defense first and second and third um, to think about like what the Bulls could get for him and, you know, under what circumstance would they actually consider trading him? Because, you know, part of the last piece of that was that, you know, even if, if Chicago even truly considers moving him at all, I don't know where they stand. Um, I really do go back and forth as far as like what would be a price that you would want to move him because you wouldn't just move him for anything. Um, but yeah, it's just it's interesting to think about. Well, I look, I mean, a player like Caruso, and I don't think it's hyperbolic to suggest this, but a player of his level, someone who impacts both sides of the ball, particularly the fact that he's the way he's shooting the ball right now, Someone like Caruso, and depending on where he uh, ends up, but maybe more importantly, where he doesn't end up, assuming he was to be traded, like he could determine the title race. Like that's how impactful he is. So if you think that is true, which I do believe so, I do think a player like that is worth two first round picks. Now, again, it doesn't necessarily have to be two great first round picks, and maybe one has looser protections than the other, or whatever it may be. But like if the Celtics were able to find a way to get their hands on Alex Caruso. Maybe they don't really need him because they got Derek White and Drew Holiday. But equally, like having him on Boston means a team like Milwaukee or Philadelphia don't have Alex Caruso. Right. On, on the swing side of things, a team like the Sixers, who are currently third in the East, we kind of feel like they might need one or two more guys, let's say, particularly on the defensive end. If they were there to land... Caruso and understanding all the changes the Bucks are going through right now, like does that propel them up to the level of someone like the Celtics? So right now I'm I'm not, you know, a confident Sixers person. Let's say I would need to see it in the playoffs given all of their issues that they've had. But if you can add someone like Caruso, put him next to Embiid and Maxi and Harris, and you're still keeping up that mo- uh, max uh, cap space that you have potentially up- upcoming in this offseason, like 
he could fundamentally change Philadelphia's playoff run. So, like, I do think in some respects, depending on who it relates to, he could be that important and he could swing the title race in some instances. So I don't think it's too much to ask, to be honest with you. But I guess the question is, like, is he available? And everything we continue to hear is that the Bulls just don't want to move him. And whether the two two first-round picks are available in a trade or whether that's being offered for Caruso, who the hell knows? But... Even if it is, I still question if the Bulls would even want to move Caruso because, again, like every report that we've heard is this team is very reluctant to do so. I think that's definitely the wrong thing to do, to maintain or keep him around on a team that's probably locked in in the ninth seed in some respects. Like, I almost feel bad for Alex, to be honest with you. Like, this this guy deserves to be on one of the best teams in, in, in basketball. And I wish that was the Bulls, but it's not. But like, what are we doing here as uh, the team that's ninth in the East probably is going to stay ninth in the East? What what are you doing here with Caruso rather than moving on from him? Like, I, I don't understand that that aspect of it. This guy has positive value. He's one of the assets, few assets on your team who can return real positive uh, value for you for a team that's not necessarily going anywhere. Like, I, I just don't get why they would want to keep him to the degree, degree that they want to while they deem him near untouchable, which I think is what Joe Cowley has reported. So it doesn't make sense to me, but uh, the Bulls seemingly love Alex Caruso, which I understand, but it just might be, you know, the wrong time. Right player, but wrong time. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Marcus Smart got traded. You mentioned that trade from the Celtics to the Grizzlies for a top four protected pick from the Warriors and the 25th overall pick in last year's draft. So that was like ahead of last year's draft. So two picks. Um, Obviously, the 25th pick is not super sexy, but a top four protected pick from the Warriors this year, which was then traded to Portland, is looking like real tasty for the Blazers uh, from that Malcolm Brogdon deal. So, or uh, the Drew Holiday and Malcolm Brogdon deal. yeah, I mean, I think it really comes down to like, what are your aspirations? And like, if you think that getting to the first round of the playoffs and being competitive and hopefully winning a game or two against the Bucks or the Celtics is like a successful season, then yeah, it probably makes sense to keep Caruso, right? Because like, he's going to put you in the best position to do that. And a one pick next year is not going to help you at all this year. Um, but if like you realize that that's not where you want to ultimately end up, then like that's the probably the tough decision that you have to make. Um, I do think that like having veteran players around who are still good and can help steady the ship and like keep the floor at a certain level is really valuable when you're talking about developing young players. Um, And like you were, you were saying this kind of yesterday that like, unless they have a good solution for like a replacement for DeMar, then you probably don't just trade him just to trade him. I think the same is true for Crusoe, except that they kind of do have a solution built in in Io, who's just been outstanding defensively. And I think he can, you know, absorb a little bit more minutes and just play that type of role. Um, but obviously, like if you are just trying to get to the first round of the playoffs and win a game or two, like, yeah, you probably want to keep Crusoe. So it's really just ultimately like where do you see yourself getting to? Um, but yeah, I mean, like a top 10 pick would be really hard to turn down. Um, as much as Crusoe has really ingratiated himself, like I want to see Crusoe come back and be a coach here. You know, like I just, I feel like he is such a fixture in the Bulls organization, even though he's only been here for a couple of years, like he really has established the culture on that side of the floor. And that's been the most successful part of the Bulls, right? Is their defense. So obviously like you lose a huge 
um, like emotional and uh, defensive leader on the team, but it's really like, you know, does that outweigh two potential first round picks? I'm not convinced they could get two picks just because teams still are kind of hoarding picks for stars. It's really like when you, when you think about like the Zach thing, like Donovan Mitchell is probably going to command three first round picks if he gets traded. Right. And he's making a similar contract to Zach. So like, what's the the dissonance there? Well, people just don't believe Zach is as good as Donovan. And so that contract becomes exponentially worse because he's not providing that kind of value. Whereas Donovan is providing that kind of value. And so it's like that, that cost is extra. And so I say that to say that, you know, teams do still want to retain multiple first round picks so that they can go out and make those star moves. But in order to be able to do that comfortably, you, you need to have really productive players on lower value contracts. Um, I just don't know that a team would legitimately be giving like two real first round picks, but if they do, you know, that I just, yeah, I feel like it would just be hard to say no to. Yeah. And coming back to the comment around, like, it's important to keep vets around this team, a younger team. I completely agree. I've, I've said that multiple times and, you know, ideally I would love to keep Caruso and that's why I'm, I'm an advocate for keeping Damar and Vooch because I think they are important to guys like Kobe and Pat and Io, et cetera. But the difference between Damar and Caruso or Caruso and Vooch is they don't have the same value in the market that he does. So you have to weigh that into the conversation or the value play more generally. If Damar could garner two first-round picks in the trade market, irrespective of how much I love Damar and how much I think or how important I think he has been for Kobe's development and Pat's development, etc., I would move Damar in that instance because... I would value the two first-round picks more going forward than a 35-year-old DeRozan. Now, he doesn't have that value, which is why I think keeping him around past the deadline kind of makes sense in some regards. But with Caruso, if you can get real value for him and you don't necessarily think this team is going anywhere meaningful, that Caruso turns 30 in a month's time, will be 31 when you have to pay him next time around, assuming he wants to stay here. I think you need to play this from a value proposition point of view because he is arguably the lone guy on this roster that is quote-unquote movable. I won't include someone like Kobe White because at this point I assume he's in some respects untouchable. But of the guys you potentially could move at the deadline this this uh, this season, like he's the only one where you can get back real value, which is why he keeps coming up in conversations amongst the fan base as to what are we doing here? Are we moving him or not? We all recognize the value that he brings on the court and off the court too, as you mentioned. He's established a defensive identity. But so much of this decision isn't just about you know what happens on the basketball court now. It's about what, what will be happening on the basketball court for years to come. And like I said before, if if maybe if this maybe if he was contracted for a number of years going forward, if this was year one of his deal or something like that, over, over a four-year deal, again, maybe I would feel differently. But knowing that he is you know, on the age curve, particularly the way he plays, and you would have to pay him probably double his salary next time around when he is a free agent. I, I don't know if that makes sense. I also don't know if he's going to be here, particularly if this team continues to stink or is a playing team. Let's say that they don't stink, but if they're, you know, in that playing range, like why would Caruso want to stay here? The Bulls themselves need to show someone like Caruso that it makes sense for him to stay on a seventh or an eighth or a ninth seed. Why would he do that? when there'll be other teams with their full mid-level exception, which at that point in time, when he is a free agent, will probably be around $13, 14000000 million annually. Like, why is he staying here instead of going to a Sixers or a, 
a Bucks or whomever at that point in time. Like, why, why do we just assume that? I, I don't know why fans do, but yeah, I, I, I would be trading him. I haven't moved from that position. So Eli in the comments saying if they trade Crusoe, when would it be? Uh, I would say probably at the latest ahead of the February 8th deadline. Paul Sorensen, he's 29. He's still young enough to keep him for a future playoff run. Eli again, uh, can they trade DeMar and Alex and keep Zach because Zach has no trade value? I mean, I think these are all the questions that they need to be weighing. Like you mentioned, does Crusoe even want to be here anymore? Um, I don't know that they really have an answer to that right now. But my question is like, if they do decide to wait and you know, maybe they feel like they can trade him next deadline. Um, would they be able to get the same kind of return? Uh, I think that's a huge risk because one, you run the risk of him getting hurt or him falling off. I mean, you're shooting like 43% this year. That's a huge piece of his value is he's bringing you elite, elite, elite defense and also not being played off the floor on the other end. He's a good extra passer, uh, great shooter this year. Like that's a, that's a super valuable thing. And he has not been that kind of a shooter his whole career. I think he's gotten better and I think he is more consistent, but I don't think it's fair to say that he's just going to be 43% for the rest of his career. Um, I don't believe Todd that uh, Herb Jones for Crusoe is a real thing. I think the uh, number one, the money wouldn't work. Um, and two, I just, I think the Pelicans really like Herb. I don't think they want to move him, but yeah, to me, the question is like, can they afford to wait until next year to trade him? Maybe they could still get two first round picks then. I don't know that they could even get that now. So like how much of a difference would it be in price to have one more run this year? And is that worth it? Because like you said, Mark, you know, is it worth it for these teams to, or for this team to like be a ninth seed and like squeeze into the playoffs and get destroyed by the Bucks or the Celtics? To me, the answer is probably not worth it. But to them, I think the answer, it clearly is worth it. So it really all comes down to value and like, whether I think the Bulls are operating from a position of like, let's just move forward by doing deals that provide value to us versus let's do moves that may be some costs that may, you know, be a struggle to move Zach, but we got to do it because we're just ready to move forward without him. Um, that is not operating, I think, from a position of power. And it's how you end up either losing value on players or just not getting value in the first place. But if you are looking for value, you should probably go check out our partner, Ray Chevrolet, because he's ringing in the new year with the best offers all month long. Make your way to Ray Chevrolet on Route 12 in Fox Lake to join in on savings and start your rate resolution. As one of the top selling Chevy dealers in the Midwest, you'll always be able to shop one of Chicagoland's largest Chevy inventories. But right now they're trying to make room for inbound 2024 models. So all current inventory must go. Plus, you can find a perfect tailgate vehicle at Ray Chevy because they have over 100 new Silverados available with prices starting at $19,495 or take up to $10,000 off a new 2023 Silverado. And to top it all off, they are pricing over 125 vehicles under $20,000. Seriously, you guys cannot get more affordable pricing than this. Plus, if you mention CHGO when scheduling your visit you will get a free oil change on Ray Chevrolet in Fox Lake. Start off your new year right. Visit Ray Chevrolet in Fox Lake or RayChevrolet.com to start your Ray resolution. They've been serving the community since 1963. Find new roads. Speaking of value, William, our friends at DraftKings, always here to support us here at CHGO. But with the NBA season being in full swing, and when I can't get enough of the action, William, on the court, I like to spice things up with my betting via the DraftKings Sportsbook app, the official partner 
of the NBA. So right now, new customers, when you bet five bucks, you will get two hundred dollars instantly in bonus bets. Now there's some um, some absolute barn barn burners going on tonight in the NBA, William. I mean, you've got the uh, the the Detroit Pistons versus the. Uh, Charlotte Hornets, what an absolutely incredible game that'll be. You've got the Spurs taking on an OKC Thunder. But apparently, it's a rivalry week in the NBA. Whether you want to get yourself on, on the spread or the money lines, the totals, whatever you want to play, there's some interesting lines there or interesting bets that you potentially could make via the DraftKings Sportsbook app. So download the, the app itself, the DraftKings Sportsbook app, and use promo code CHGO when you do. New customers can bet Five bucks on the NBA, you can get two hundred instantly back in bonus bets only on DraftKings DraftKings Sportsbook with that promo code CHGO. Of course, William the Crown is is yours. If you have a gambling problem, obviously call one eight hundred Gambler or visit www800 gamblernet in New York. Call eight seven seven eight Hope NY or text Hope NY. Uh, 467369 in Connecticut. Help is available for problem gambling. Call 8887897777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdictions. Void into Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after insurance. DKNGs.com slash basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsibly gambling services. <sighs> Thanks for taking that one for me today. That's a lot of words. Um, I'll, I'll get it next time. Uh <laughs> So what are you what are you expecting to happen this deadline? Like, do you think they're going to do anything? What's your for for Zach for Demar for Caruso? Um, you had a great pull the other week, um, looking at all the moves that the Bulls have made since twenty twenty two. They have not made a trade for a player, and I'm not putting Julian Phillips in this mix because that was a trade for a second round pick. They have not made a trade for a player since they traded Lowry Markinen in August of twenty twenty one. Which is kind of insane. Uh, and at the same time, like they they haven't, it's not like they have been, you know, sticking with this group because it's been so successful. And that's the crazy part. But even crazier than that is like you look at the teams around the league and everybody is making moves, even though they are successful. Like the Heat just traded for Terry Ozier, the Knicks, OG Ananobi, the Pacers just got Pascal Siakam this summer. The Celtics traded for Drew Holiday and Chris Dapps Porzingis. The Bucks got Damian Lillard. The Sixers traded away James Harden and primed themselves to be in position to make another massive deal if they want to. The Hawks are about to trade everyone and anyone on their roster other than Jalen Johnson and DeJounte Murray, reportedly. The Nets are, we've heard, they're going to be buyers. We've heard they're going to be sellers. We don't know what they're going to do, but they're going to do something. The Raptors picked a lane. Like, it's just kind of crazy to me that the Bulls have not done anything. And that is my expectation, is that they're not going to do anything again at the deadline. Um, one, do you agree with that? And two, how do you feel about it? Like, cause I think that I sometimes feel this way and I know other people do too, is like, they have to make a move to make a move. And I don't think that's necessarily the right approach as much as I do think they should make a move just to start doing stuff. Um, but like, how do you feel about the idea that they may not do anything and should they do something just to do something? No, they shouldn't do something just to do something, but they need to do something because of the position they're in. Like a team like the Celtics doesn't have to do something. 
the OKC Thunder doesn't have to do something. The Bulls, who are in ninth currently, were what, eighth or no, tenth last season, have seemingly been operating in that same space. I think uh, AK's win loss record as a an executive, it's not 500, but it's just under 500. So this has literally been a 500 team his entire four year te- uh, tenure through here in Chicago. Now, obviously, he made his big. His big deal when trading for Vucevic, obviously that followed that up in the offseason when he went after Lonzo and DeMar and, and and those sorts of things. Caruso obviously too. But since then, there's been nothing. And I don't understand how you can do nothing from that from that standpoint. So I get the sentiment that, you know, when fans call for something or to do something, it can be wrong and doing something isn't necessarily always the best option. But in this instance, within this context of this bull season, but also the last two to three years, how you have done nothing for such a middling team is inexplainable. It is just, it makes absolutely no no sense. I've got so much more words that I could have used in that sentence, which I won't, but it just, it's bizarre. It's odd. It's strange. But given where this team is at, I don't know how you could sit on your hands, but that is what I'm fully expecting based, again, on all the reporting. Right now, there doesn't seem to be any interest in Zach Levine. I would be shocked if Alex Caruso is moved based on everything that has been reported. Again, similarly, it sounds like the Bulls want to keep DeMar DeRozan. I mean, their own words from Eversley, like they, they they value DeMar DeRozan. They want to work with him on an extension. Guys like Kobe, Pat, Io aren't being moved. Vooch doesn't have any value in the trade market. He's not going anywhere. So really, when you start taking away those six or seven guys and suggesting that one that the Bulls either can't move them or don't want to move them, then we're really talking about guys like Javon Carter or Andre Drummond or Torrey Craig or anything like that. So yeah, okay, cool. Maybe you could move Torrey Craig or Javon Carter or maybe trade Andre Drummond for a bunch of second round picks. But like technically, that's doing something but it's not doing anything to really meaningfully help this team in the now or potentially even into the future. So I think anything they can do or should do, the meaningful stuff, they won't do. So I'm expecting a very, very quiet deadline. But like I said, there's still a few more, still two more two more, two more weeks or so before the deadline, so things can change. But based on what where things sit now, there's no there's no reason to think anything will move or change. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to think about it from the perspective of like, accomplishing their goals and like obviously i disagree with their aspirations of being a play-in team but like fish says he's making a bunch of good comments or a bunch of good points in the comments here um and we appreciate everybody throwing comments in make sure you guys hit the like for us as well but fish is saying like when half the teams are tanking every year how can you not be the ninth seed um you know he said it's a seller's market too and that's what drives me crazy i think he's spot on like and i wrote this the other day if the Bulls were to trade Caruso, for example, like, do you think they would fall out of the play-in tournament? Because I don't think they would. These teams behind them are just horrendous. I mean, the Hawks are like starting to play a little bit better, but they're going to trade DeJounte Murray. I'm not sure if they're going to be trying to like get better or worse after that. Um, The Nets are a complete dumpster fire. The Raptors just traded all their players. Like, I don't see them really being in a position where they fall out of the play-in. It's really like, are you and like could they beat the magic without Caruso? Could they beat the Pacers in a in a one game play in without Caruso? I think they probably could. Like I don't really think he he obviously makes you a better team, but like I don't think he really changes your fortunes when you are this team in this position. 
Obviously, if you're the 76ers and now you have a guy that you can throw at Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, that really changes your, you know, your potential destiny in the playoffs. But in a one game setting, I just don't really see him completely the I don't see the bottom falling out if you move Caruso the way I do if you move DeRozan. And yeah, I, I wonder if they're looking at it that way or if they're just like we need to hoard all of our assets to be able to give ourselves the best chance possible and as connor is saying like the bulls are like that one player in Catan who doesn't do anything and just hoards all of their cards for a quote power move only to ro roll a seven when their turn comes around it's like it's so true like you're, you're losing out on value by not doing stuff we've seen this happen with vooch where they didn't do anything last year and then they re-signed him uh they're in the same position again this year with the rosen uh, it's going to be the same position next year with Caruso, who will be extension eligible next summer uh, This after this season. Like, they're going to have to figure out what moves to make because I, I stand by what I said. Like, they do need to do something because they're just simply not good enough to keep rolling it out. And they have played a lot better. I am not trying to take that away from them. They're playing really good basketball. And that's kind of my point is, like, even if you take away Caruso from this situation, I could see them winning a play-in game against the Magic or the Pacers or the Hawks. Like, I just, I don't think either of those teams are that scary. Maybe they lose, maybe they don't, but um, I think it's probably, from a value proposition standpoint, better to have those extra potential future picks so that you can have something good when DeMar becomes too old and you've got Kobe, and now he's just, like, carrying a team that has a bunch of bad money on their books because Vuce and DeRozan are no longer producing up to the uh, the standard of their contract. Um, yeah, I just, uh, I, they have to do something. They have to do something. Um, Mark, let's take a, another quick break before we get back into that conversation to talk about our friends at ComEd. Yes, William. Uh, it is getting easier for businesses to switch to electric vehicles. Of course it is. That's something we can all get behind for the health of the planet and for the well-being of all of us who share in all of its glory. That is so true, Mark, because the electric grid is evolving to meet your cleaner energy needs as we all move with confidence towards an electric tomorrow. Whether you have one delivery van or a whole fleet of shipping trucks, ComEd can help guide you to make the changes that make sense. So, William, if you are a business owner, what should you do? You can go to comed.com slash clean to learn more about resources, fleet rebates, and infrastructure incentives available to help businesses go electric. If you own a business, don't wait. Start making your plan today to switch to electric vehicles. Good for business, good for the planet, good for all of us. Go to comed.com slash clean. Did you say comed.com slash clean? Comed.com slash clean. Go now and see how going electric connects us to a better way of doing business and a better future for generations to come. And once you've gone totally green and you have renewable energy on your side, you can hit up our guy, Charlie, the bacon guy to get some bacon in your life because everybody needs more bacon. <laughs> Charlie, the bacon guy is based out of Woodridge, Illinois, and he makes craft bacon and bacon jams in over 35 different flavors. The bacon and bacon jams are all naturally cured, preservative free products. They aren't any ingredients that Charlie can't pronounce himself involved in the process, unlike most store-bought bacon. It's vacuum-sealed, it freezes perfectly, it lasts in the fridge for up to 60 days, and in the freezer, once the seal is broken after until nine months, bacon jam lasts about 90 days in the fridge and up to one year in the freezer. They've got incredible array of flavors that Matt Peck just cannot get enough of. You've got maple, pepper, rosemary, chorizo, French toast, green barbecue, jardinera, Matt's favorite, ranch, and Old Bay. 
their bacon flavors or bacon jam flavors, excuse me, original bourbon, spicy. The bacon jam goes on everything perfectly. You can put on scrambled eggs, toast with or without jelly, crackers, burgers, grilled cheese, charcuterie boards, or Charlie's favorite, just with the spoon. So starting now, you can save 10% on your order at charliethebaconguy.com when you use code CHGO at checkout. You can pick it up, which is the most efficient way, or he'll deliver it or meet you halfway or even ship it. Charlie will make it happen. He makes the bacon so you can bring it home. Check out charliebaconguy.com where you can find him on Twitter at, at CZTheBaconGuy, at Instagram um, at charliethebaconguy. Make sure you guys check out Charlie the Big Guy with code CHGO to get 10% off your order. All right, Mark, that's a lot of me talking. Um, let's talk about, uh, let's talk more about just like the Bulls situation of being stuck in the middle because you had a point yesterday that I wanted to press on a little bit because you said basically that, you know, you have to have an alternative in mind if you end up moving DeMar, right? So it's, mm-hmm. so I guess, can you just kind of go into, more detail about how you think the bull should handle the DeRozan situation starting from this trade deadline until a contract situation uh, comes this summer. Yeah, look, what I, what I said yesterday was, and, and this is coming back to what we spoke about before, about how I think it's important to have veterans around younger squads for a number of different reasons, but specifically with DeRozan and his ability to create, his ability to handle, his decision-making I think having that extra on-ball guy to set up guys like Patrick or Io or someone like Vooch to help uh, draw two in instances when Kobe is off-ball, as an example, to really set up Kobe's catch-and-shoot game or when Kobe is you know, acting as the primary option, the ball can swing to someone like DeMar to do stuff on the second side and you know you can still get a good shot off in those scenarios. Now, if you were to just lose DeMar DeRozan in free agency as an example, you let him go in free agency, he expires, he's gone, and you don't have a good solution to replace what he does for this team, then what happens? It means a lot of the attention goes on Kobe White. He gets to dominate the ball, which again, some fans would love to see. But whilst that would be good in some respects, it would also mean the defense would load up on Kobe White. And I think that would be problematic because right now, Kobe's not necessarily seeing doubles or triple teams. That would change in the instance when you remove guys like DeMar DeRozan, which is why I think it's important to, if you do move on from DeMar, that you have a ready-made, or maybe not necessarily a ready-made, but another guy that you can put there next to Kobe who can do stuff on ball to help support the offense more generally, but to help Kobe sort of run the offense if you were to move on from DeMar. So whoever that is, insert whichever player you want. I'm not suggesting or, you know, pushing forward any names uh, specifically, but I think what DeMar brings to this offense more generally is valuable. I think having two on-ball guys is extremely valuable for a number of different reasons, but including Kobe White's development. And I think that kind of needs to be the primary focus right now. A lot of people will say don't need anyone because you've got Io and Pat and just increase their their usage. But based on how I feel about the both of those guys, I don't think they're ready or capable to handle or to step into that Demar role and really support Kobe from that point of view. So I think you would need to get yourself another, you know, a lead guard or a lead wing, whatever it might be, to really help the Bulls do their thing from that point of view. So that was where my thinking was at yesterday. It's where I've been for a while and why I'm okay with the idea of bringing back Demar because I think it's easier to bring back DeMar than to find that DeMar replacement. But if you do have a good solution of 
finding that Demar replacement and you want to pivot to that way, then uh, you know I support it. But until I see what that looks like, then that's why I remain on the Demar side of things. But I think I think that role is very valuable and needed. I think it's so valuable that it's more valuable to the Bulls than it is to any other team. And that's the reason why the Bulls are in this predicament in the first place, because I 100% agree. Like people have this idea that like it's the Kobe show, like give him the ball and get out of his way. That's just not true. Yeah. The way he's getting his baskets yeah. is still very much being set up. Um, right now, 52% of his shots are assisted. So that means that more than half the time, he is scoring off of assists as opposed to self-created shots. Now, that number has gone way down from last year. It was at 65%. So he's creating a lot more for himself. But I don't think that that means all of a sudden he's ready to, you know, he's got 23% uh, usage. Like he's not ready to take on 30% usage. I don't think that does him any favors. Um, what has been really great is that the percentage of his shots at the rim have gone from 42% assisted to 32% assisted. So he's creating more offense when it comes to getting to the rim, but he's still, you know, 85% of his three point shots are assisted. Like he's, he's playing off of DeMar really well. And I think that's why he's succeeding. Not to say that he can't create, but it is to say that he benefits from having a high level creator. Now the, the place where I push back a little bit on this is if you don't trade DeMar, then you're not putting yourself in a position to be able to get the DeMar replacement. And I realize that that's a little bit circular because it's also true that if you do trade him, you still have to find that replacement. But I think the idea behind like selling off parts is to get picks so that you can ultimately find that replacement. So if the Bulls don't do that with DeMar, if they decide they want to extend him or keep him or let him walk for nothing in free agency, whatever it is, like eventually they're going to have to find that replacement. And to me, it's easier to do that once you've acquired some future picks. Um, now, do I think that it's possible that they could find a DeMar replacement without trading DeMar? Possibly. You don't know how long that's going to take. You're going to have to get really lucky, try either doing it in the draft or via trade, or Patrick Williams starts to really blow up. Um, there are avenues. It's difficult, but it's difficult whether you trade him or not. Well, my point is, and I think this is true for every team that operates this way, if you are afraid to trade the guy to find the next guy, that's how you end up on the treadmill of mediocrity, right? Like he's going to keep the floor high enough that it's going to be impossible to get a high draft pick. And if you don't get a high draft pick, then you can't get that star. And if you can't get that star, then you're over-reliant on DeMar and you can't trade him. You have to keep him. You have to extend him, sign him for more than you should, whatever it may be. So I think that's kind of the, the paradox. I don't want to say that like you're wrong because I think you're right. It's just a matter of like, you still need to be able to find that star. And like I said, that's a challenge, whether you're doing it from the draft or free agency or whatever, but that still is the Bulls' biggest problem. And I think, yeah, keeping DeMar around keeps the floor high enough that you're going to be in this play-in range, um, but ultimately, is that where you want to be? Now, maybe this thing lasts for three more years and DeMar you know, ages gracefully and maybe there's like a gentle decline, but as that's happening, like as DeMar's going down, Kobe's going up higher and maybe he ultimately kind of swaps roles and then you can then go find that second guy again. Maybe that's true. Um, and maybe that's what the Bulls are banking on. Probably is. But I, I still think that's a challenge. And you've got to be able to find that guy somehow. And without trading Caruso, without trading DeMar, without having your own pick in the Cooper flag draft, um, it's just it's difficult to find that guy. And I don't really know what their solutions are at this point. Well, I mean... Zach Lee, Zach Levink potentially could have been a solution to this, but he doesn't necessarily want to be in Chicago. But, you know, if you could have 
moves uh, Zach to the Lakers and gotten back D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves. Now, I know people feel a certain way about those two players, and as do I. I'm not necessarily suggesting that I want to watch D'Angelo Russell play basketball in Chicago, but if you have D'Angelo Russell next season, if you have Austin Reeves next season as an example, then, then that gives you some more flexibility to move on from someone like DeMar and not pay him his extension because you would have two other on-ball guys that you could support Kobe with. Or maybe you trade in Austin Reeves to someone else who maybe values him and maybe you get back a different type of ball handler. Or maybe, as we talked about before, you trade Alex Caruso for a couple first-round picks and maybe one of those first-round picks hits on another you know, decent uh, young ball handler in the same way that the Sixers found Tyrese Maxey in the 20s. Or maybe you pair those, those couple first-round picks that you get for Alex Caruso for a young guard elsewhere. Whatever the situation may be, like I'm not sitting here saying I have the answers, but what I do fundamentally believe in is that you can't just have Kobe have every single possession or dominating every single possession like fans want to see. I put out a tweet the other night uh, highlighting all of Kobe's scores in the fourth quarter against, or who did the Bulls play last game? Against the Suns. And I asked the question, like, what, what do you see? And literally all of the responses I got back were one of two things, either people telling me he's the next Derrick Rose or that he should be having every, or all the late game offense should be going through him. But what people were missing was the fact that the way he was scoring was, like you said, in catch and shoot scenarios, over well, almost 50% of his offense comes from three-point attempts. You mentioned before that a high percentage of those is assisted. So a lot of what Kobe does is assisted. But the way he gets to the rim isn't in isolation. He's not an isolation player. He's a pick and roll player. He gets downhill and operates from there. But what makes the Kobe White pick and roll effective is by having other options around him that defenses need to respect and care about. Now, if you take those players away and you don't replace them with something, then defenses gear up and load up on someone like Kobe and it makes his life more difficult. That's that's the position where I'm coming from. So I don't have the answers as such. I still think you need to have that second and tertiary credit next to Kobe. Some people may think that's Pat Nio. I don't think so. That's where I diverge from that. But that role is important because you can't just have Kobe doing his own thing and going full ISO mode and taking over and doing that stuff because... That's not great for his development either, no matter how, even if I know fans want to see that and think that DeMar being here is a problem. I don't, but uh, I think just handing over the entire keys to Kobe is not a good strategy because we've seen that in the past. Like we've seen that with Zach previously where you miscast him as a first option and the Bulls, I think, would be miscasting Kobe as a first option. And then that probably becomes problematic. That goes down a path where you're asking someone to be something they're not. We're asking them to do too much and they can't. And then people's opinions change. And I don't want that to happen with Kobe because we've seen it play out before and we we, we know how to avoid it, I guess. 100% agree with that. I think Vooch can be that guy to a certain extent, um, but you still do need a shot creator. That's why DeMar has been so mm. good is because he draws two to the ball and he creates openings yes. even just by existing. Um, ultimately, like the Kobe and DeMar tandem is not going to like exist together for the next five or 10 years because DeMar's just too old. Um, and that's really been our question for the past two years. It's like, okay, well then what do you do? And we've seen what happens when you wait too long. Like, I don't know what would have happened if they looked to trade Zach last year. Um, probably would have gotten something for him. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they can afford to like wait this long on Caruso or DeMar. 
and expect to really get anything. And all of a sudden, now you're at a point where you've got nothing for these guys and you're in that situation where Kobe has to do everything except that you've got no assets to be able to get that guy down the road. And now you are putting Kobe in a really tough spot to be, you know, first, second, and third option on this team. So I think the risk is there regardless. Um, but yeah, that's that's the hardest thing to do in basketball is find a star player. And that's why those guys are so valuable. And it's why the situation with Zach is so tough because he represents not only a star caliber offensive player, but a way, or at least in the previous CBA, like a way to be able to get that next guy. And now they're not in a position really to be able to do that. So uh, about two and a half weeks left until the trade deadline does not look like anything is really materializing for Zach. Maybe that changes over the next couple of weeks. We will obviously be here to break it down for you guys. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a tricky spot for the Bulls to be in right now. And I'm really curious to see what direction they go and and how they decide to manage this situation. Because even though they've been playing a lot better, they're still not a great team. Um, I think they can maybe do some of the stuff that they said they wanted to do, which was get to the playoffs. But I'm not really sure how you get beyond that. And I think that's my biggest question. So like I said, trade deadline a couple weeks away. We will have more coverage for you until then. Uh, game tomorrow night in LA. It's a late start at 9.30, I believe. Um, so you'll hear Matt and Dave and myself complaining about the late start and Mark making fun of us for complaining about the late start tomorrow. Uh, so tune in for pre and post game then. Uh, until then, follow Mark on Twitter at MK Hoops. You can follow Joey 1.1K at Joey Spathis and follow me at Will underscore Gottlieb. Tune in tomorrow. We will talk to you guys then. We all silly like the mayor. 